Patrick and Tom thought they had escaped the hell of Amityville, but another franchise has gotten its hooks into them. The Amityville Podcast goes to hell. Welcome back to the Amityville Horror Podcast. I am Tom. I'm Pat. And we're going back to hell. Yeah, we are. We are on to Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. The sequel. We're pleased to. Now, this one came out about an even year after the first one, right? This is, eight, this is 88. Uh, which Hellraiser? God damn it, where is this in the book? One sec. I thought it was 87, 88. I think, no, I think you're right. I just want to... It was a fast yeah, turnaround. Hell, Hellraiser was 87. Hell, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2 is 88. Mm-hmm. So, we understand. The, th- the thing made money. The thing made more money than we ever dreamed possible. Mm-hmm. We have to make a sequel before anybody changes their minds. Yeah. Uh, the iron is still hot. The first one is going to be hitting video six months at this t- at this point in time, six months to a year after your movie is in theaters, then it hits the home video market. Mm-hmm. So if you could have your sequel out within a year, Oof. you're pretty much timing that home video hits and then your sequel is in theaters right thereafter. It is creating the perfect echo chamber. Yeah, that's why before the 80s sequels happened here and there, but very rarely. I think definitely home video essentially created the sequel Basically, it's what started the real mega trend on it. Mm. Um, And cheap slashers, too. But, like, they they worked in (laughs) tangent with each other, or tandem with each other. Mm. Uh, But I remember at the time, there being huge jokes about... A Rocky three, a Jaws three, three movies in one franchise. Hollywood's out of ideas. Like three, like despite was too much of a franchise. Like, and this is all after Return of the Jedi. Uh, Jedi was eighty three, so that was. But like Rocky three, I think it was like eighty one, eighty two. Sure, but. And Jaws 3 was, like, it was just starting to be that. And yeah. Return of the Jedi was, Special. you're dealing with Star Wars level money. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It's just, but, it's kind of funny that that gets to be, like, the exception. It's yeah. like, okay, we'll, but, we'll accept a third Star Wars. Even in that, in the song Yoda, before Jedi hit, long term, or no, I think it was just after I Jedi. Says, I'll be making these movies till the end of time. I mean, kind of. Yes. But at the time, that was, again, based off of two or three movies. Oh, these things are going to go on forever. Mm. That That's a weird jump for now. I guess it these is. Days. Yeah. Like, oh, you're going to do two, you're going to do 30 of them. <laughs> if only we knew. Fast X coming out this summer. Yeah. And that's the 10th in the Prime franchise, ignoring that there's a, at least one side movie already. There's one side movie already, and there's a couple more, I think, in development. Are there? I know we're getting at least one more Hobson Shaw, which, you know, if we're lucky, we get five more Hobson Shaw. Right. But I'm saying, like, them saying that Fast X Mm. is the last of the Fast franchise. Oh, no. There's uh, not remotely true. Well, no, because it's 11 is going to be the last one. They're saying 11 is the last one right now. 
I know. So yeah, I, I was just point. like everybody. Like this has been a funny thing because like it's not just you. A, a few other people have uh, said this to me whenever I bring up Fast and the Furious, which you know is a lot. But um, no, actually, it's supposed to end with eleven. Because I don't. Know which why. means that they have an ending in mind that is thematically going to tie the franchise together. Which, having watched the movies, I can't think of a moment that will tie the franchise together. It turns out that the DV combination DV DVCRs had this microfilm all the way from the first movie that has influenced everything and talking about it now I understand why it's 11 because Vin Diesel will be that much of an egotistical prick that he probably doesn't count three he either doesn't count two or three and so uh, he, he doesn't ten. he wasn't in two at all he wasn't so. in two at all but if he, if he, even in his adult brain, he will ignore a Paul Walker movie. Yeah. Like supposedly, supposedly they're brothers. Uh, so that's why I say it's either two or three, even yeah. though both are canon at this point. Like I mean, he shows up at the end of three. It was always canon, but Lucas ba- Lucas Black has shown up in right. uh, in another one in addition to. Uh, filming it's one of the best cuts in uh fast and the furious 7 you see the end shot from uh fast and the furious 3 tokyo drift where it's uh lucas black uh uh, lucas is uh told that like somebody wants to race him and it's uh vin diesel and then it cuts to the next scene and lucas black has aged 12 12 15 years yeah i love it like the hairline has retreated on him. Yeah. And we're just like, it's fine. It's fine. They play a lot with time jumps in that franchise, but... Oh, my God. Because of three. We have, we have to change the subject. Right. This is just going to turn so, into Fast We'll, we we'll do the Fast and the Furious after uh, Hellraiser. Okay, we'll talk about that. <laughs> Not hard, but... It's, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> so... Hellraiser 2 came out very fast after the first one because the first one made a lot of money and they especially New World Pictures being Roger Corman oh there's money to be made do another one quick do you have any ideas good enough let's go and actually uh, the, the, like uh, once again consulting the Clive Barker's Dark Worlds book again uh, it goes into the development of this one and it was it, like Clive Pretty much early on, Clive knew he wouldn't be able to direct this one because he, at minimum, was working on, like, the last of the Books of Blood and also knee-deep in Weave World. Right. And so uh, what started in this one and then carry over carries over to a degree into the third one is Clive would meet with, like, Christopher Figg and Peter Atkins, the writer on this one, mm-hmm. and uh, they would... Uh, brainstorm what the movie would be and then Peter Atkins would write the script and then it would go and be directed and right. this carried over to a, a smaller degree in the third one yeah, and Atkins even uh, wrote the fourth one yes yeah but Clive didn't have it we'll, we'll get into that gotcha. but uh, I love the idea that like Clive would still like it's more than just he's executive producing he is actually still involved he's kind of uh, he's got his hand on the t- uh, on the, uh, the the till 
The scale? No, the... Um, hand the in boat. the till, no, taking no. money, hand on the scale, changing the no, results. The, the boat. The boat. Isn't that also called a till? No, I don't know. The direction thing on boats. The... Not, not, not the steering wheel, but the steering no. wheel. No, but the, um, you know, like on little ro- little motorboats, you yeah. know, you have like the little thing. I forget. I'll look it up. But um, anyway, the jib. Maybe. The jib is nautical terms. Yeah. Anyway, not our matter. strong suit. No. Uh, Clive, the important thing was that Clive still had a still was working with them actively and mm-hmm. trying to and trying to add the Cliveness to it. Yeah, he wasn't just rubber stamping. He was yeah. acting. He want, this was his baby. Yeah, like the the crucial thing was like I think I'd have to like really double check it, but like they did have an actual director lined up for this, but then he kind like there were issues he felt like he fell out or there were disagreements and so they essentially had to start shooting and there was no director so to, uh, Tony Randall t- uh, uh, took over the reins and uh, he was a producer on the first one and uh, a producer for New World or New World uh, Pictures but had never directed a film before no he, but he had he had worked again with the Corman studio, New World being Corman. Yes, yeah, he'd worked around films enough that he more or less had the idea. I'm sure. I um, mean, you, you, okay. So in terms of like first director horror movies, on the one hand, there. Despite the lavishness of the sets and the makeup, there is a just immediate drop in terms of like camera position, framing, mm-hmm. uh, interesting shots, making things moody, uh, lighting. Lo- oh, definitely. The yeah, lighting. there's. I mean, there is inventive lighting through this, but it is not necessarily justified or professional. No, but uh, to Tony Randall's credit, you do feel the passion for the project. Like, oh yeah, you, like yeah. there is no part of this movie that feels phoned in or like okay we're just putting a thing out which uh it kind of like tying it back to uh sequels that came out quickly after the first movies this is one of the few ones that actually pushes the series forward uh in good ways like it expands on the mythology that we with that established in the first one and then adds new ideas new things places for the uh the grander story to go as opposed to we don't know what to do so somebody's got to like somebody grab a script and we'll start copying and pasting the names. Right. It was written as a, it was written as a sequel to Hellraiser. It wasn't just grab a shelf and yeah for and swap like uh, like a Die Hard two. Your Die Hard two. I was thinking uh, Fre- uh, Freddy Nightmare on Elm Street Part two. Freddy's Revenge. Yeah. I mean they they abandon the premise. Like completely higher. Yeah. Despite having Freddy in it the entire time. Yeah. And while. Uh, appreciation, not only on uh, my part, but you know the the world as a whole has grown in appreciation for Nightmare Part Two, which it is great. It is the black sheep of the family. Mm-hmm. I just never thought it was shot well, but oh, it I is. mean, it's got plenty of problems. But. Oh, 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 yeah, no, no, it's um, very. Oh my god, I love how like no matter what room you're in, it always has the same harsh overhead lighting. Yeah, like Jesse's bedroom dance number looks exactly like the classroom sequence. Yeah, Ugh. and uh, on 
the Friday the 13th fast turnaround dude and it took we don't have a killer we don't have a killer we killed our killer so now it's the son that we mentioned except now he's a full grown adult and didn't die except maybe he did die we're not really going to make our mind up on that he's just this lumbering beast that by part four we realize is a mutant okay part two he doesn't get the mask he doesn't get that till part three mm-hmm. which again these are one after another one a year Friday the 13th movies oh, sure and so you're watching them un- you know figure out the series as they go making Hellraiser 2 again that much of an anomaly yeah um, in a good way fast turnaround not a horror movie but the sequel arguably delves into horror uh, we get a Bernie's movie's a hit we need a sequel right away okay here's what we've got well we need it in theaters so screw it I guess we're going with this yeah I've never seen Weekend of Bernice 2 I love it yeah. but not for the good reason or not for the reasons they would like you to love it 50-50 <laughs> it's there is some genuinely entertaining stuff in that movie yeah. but also it's insane. Well, it's a voodoo curse. As long as Bernie's corpse hears music, he will walk to buried treasure. Yes. So yeah, I mean, this, this, it's a Pied Piper the, the zombie story. The concept is sound. So I, I mean, I don't know why people freak out about this movie. <laughs> If you watch the first movie and say, I bet the second movie involves a treasure hunt and and voodoo. And even then, it's weird beyond just that premise. I thought the most unbelievable thing was that Andrew McCarthy was a virgin. (laughs) He blinks. That's the most (laughs) impressive part. You see his eyes close. Bernie or Andrew McCarthy? Andrew McCarthy. Does he not blink? He never blinks. I don't think he blinks. Really? I don't think he does. I never noticed that. I think Mithrigan blinks more in the trailer than... because he's always squinty. I think it's the opposite. I think he's super wide-eyed. Like, I I feel like somebody's got eye drops on set to moisten his eyes. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, because they're always, like, wide and glisteny. That's fair. Yeah. It's more like, I, I keep always imagining, like, there's this last shot of this one movie where he's, like, taking care of these kids that are abandoned and he has a very he his eyes crinkle up when he smiles genuinely or when he really smiles and so that's uh, what I think I'm getting next gotcha but yeah but what else who, who else had really like quick and ill informed sequels I mean again the 90s the 80s and the 90s were super big on love Candyman Candyman 2, Feral of the Flesh, is not a bad sequel, but it does reek of, we don't know what to do with it. Not movie. a clue what to do with it. Now, 3 is a bad movie front to back, completely no. and utterly. Yeah, never seen it. Um, the, minute, the minute I saw that it was like, oh, you're tying it to another holiday, so this is what you think this should be this should be like don't get me wrong yeah. the Mardi Gras thing works like Candyman 2 is not bad it's just it's not great I'm not yeah. personally nuts about it but I see that they were going for something <sighs> not to my taste that's fair three but it was well uh, You do, uh, it is well shot So it's well know, shot it was uh, Bill Condon's first yeah, movie indeed yeah <laughs> Uh, but three was oh, a starring nice. vehicle for Donna Derrico of Baywatch, yeah. who's not necessarily the name you think of when you think of Baywatch to you know get a pecking mm. order together. Nor moody adult introspective horror, right? 
no, it's uh, it's a very white movie. Ooh, um, not great for the franchise. Um, I have never seen it, and somehow my life has you know not been the poor for it. Yeah, it's it's it is just completely. I want to call it unwatchable, but I didn't finish it, so I can't officially <laughs> say it's unwatchable. But it took some pushing. That's fair. Yeah. How else we got? Wishmaster Two. Was that? That was pretty quick. It was I pretty mean, the great. whole Leprechaun series was great. crank them out as fast as you can. Yeah. Um, there was a surprising amount of time and patience between the Critters movies, considering mm-hmm. what we got. And famously, the uh, Two is Texas the Chainsaw Massacre movies come out, you know, at a very odd pacing. Yeah. Now, uh, Scream 2 was a year after Scream. Mm. That was, and Scream 6 is now a year after Scream 5. Jesus. Um, other than yeah. that, like, there's been longer gaps. Yeah. But, yeah. Despite my... Uh, lack of affection for the Scream sequels. Scream 2 was not the poor for a shorter turnaround time. Oh, no. I think, I, it, was, I, I think it works. I think it held the momentum amazingly yeah. from the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's usually the sequel, if it's if it's too fast... It's gotta be Furious. Oh, boy. I'm sorry. I knew I'm it was sorry. going there as I'm soon sorry. as I heard the words out of yeah, my mouth. You did. Yeah, you did. But yeah, um... It's rare that you actually get the iron is still hot and it strikes well. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, but at the same time, like the Friday the 13th movies, once they made their peace with, we are making movies of a certain quality, and then they just went with it and everything was fine. Yeah. Um, similar to like... 13th, or Nightmare on Elm Street, when yeah. we got Wes back to just, you know, add a little Wes Craven juice to the third one, and, mm-hmm. you know, he'd been helping a Frank Darabont, didn't help. Oh, most definitely. Um, Chuck Russell, not a slouch. Oh, no, 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 no. But then, um, then we got... Those were coming out like a within a year of each other. They and, were they were pretty much annual, yeah. and they were great. Yeah. Like three through five, three through okay, three and four are great. Five is a weird duck, and then six, they knew they were killing the franchise, and so yeah. they made a movie that was going to kill the franchise. And everybody in the world was stupid and didn't like it. Freddy's Dead's great. It's a blast. It's a cartoon, but, you know. Yeah. Um, Halloween 2 was a... That took a while. It was about two, three years. Yeah. I think it was was two years gap uh, because of everybody's schedules. But Halloween 5 was... Oh, Halloween 4 did well. We need 5 now. That's fair. And 5 definitely suffered for the fast turnaround. They did not know who the villain was. They didn't know how to end it, and they barely did... They ran credits, but really, they didn't end that movie. No, well, that was like well, uh, Joe Bob gets goes into it in really great detail in mm-hmm. terms of just like uh, this uh, French guy who'd never either never seen any of the Halloween movies and or never really watched a horror movie said mm-hmm. convinced the producers I'm the guy for this. Yeah, and, which on the one hand you you gotta you gotta give credit to that kind of enthusiasm going into a project. You, yeah. you want somebody that really wants to make this thing but they didn't want to make this thing they want to make a thing like why are they killing that, was like, a... the, the foster sister off like within 20 minutes for some reason because mm-hmm. no no reverence for what people enjoyed about the other ones yeah I don't get it yeah and mute Daniel Harris was not 
five, five sucks. I, I run very cold on the Halloween series as yeah. a whole, but, you know, the ones I like, I like a lot. But four and five, four or five, I've never seen six. Mm. And six H2O. took uh, about five years to get made, I want to say. Yeah. Maybe not that long, but um, there are elements of six I like. There are elements that are still producers cut or not mm-hmm. they're just not good the, the whole DJ subplot bad this is six six yeah, yeah okay. but no uh, but like fast turnaround stuff like I mean it was six years for Gremlins but they let him do whatever he wanted yeah and it's beautiful chaos it is like there's some sequels can take years and just go in the most batshit direction because the studio more or less owes the director like I don't think that if Back to the Future had made the level of money it had, mm-hmm. that you'd have gotten no. the two and three that we got. You would never have gotten the Old West one. Never would have gotten the Old West one. Never would have gotten the the level of money for the second one. Yeah, the literally going back into and recreating <laughs> and going into your first movie as a time travel movie. That's a big concept. It's so and they 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 pull it off though. It's amazing. Think, but that's the thing. They pull it off and yes the movie pretty much acts as a bridge between one and three yeah. and ultimately they do so many bold concepts with it. Mm-hmm. You can tell they're playing whereas if you read the original draft of two where it's oh now Marty goes to nineteen sixty nine and his parents are having trouble with their marriage. Oof. And it's just Yeah we don't want to make this Marty is his mom and dad's uh, time traveling marriage counselor and it's kind of what it was yeah, and it's, it was there's like a whole arrest subplot like it was a protest instead of it's in the dance but like the incidents are renamed but more or less the structure is the same damn movie yeah. and it's not interesting and it's not entertaining and it loses all the charm whereas the second one oh let's go batshit crazy that took we want Zemeckis working for us so he gets to make whatever Back to the Future 2 he he wants to make and he was coming off of Who Framed Roger Rabbit wasn't he right that's what I'm saying like Like, let's uh, let's trust him on another pricey movie yeah Mm -hmm. like he had Romancing the Stone Back to the Future Roger Rabbit like he was on a hot streak yeah 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 so but but none of those have anything to do with Hellraiser which uh, we have new additions or we have uh, Ashley Lawrence is returning as Kirsty Cotton mm-hmm. uh, Claire Higgins is uh, returning as uh, Juliet spoilers for a movie that is 30 plus years old sorry yeah. excuse us um, uh, these but, things you also might be able to glean from looking at the names on the box yeah and um, uh, but we have new additions Kenneth Cranham as uh, Dr. Chenard mm-hmm. uh, the uh uh, on the on the commentary track, Cranham uh, has a fun little anecdote about how uh, contemporary actor Gary Oldman was jealous of him at the time because Hellraiser was a hit and they were both you know doing well in the theater but they're still mm-hmm. trying to break into movies and everything he's like god damn it Cran- Kenneth Cranham got Hellraiser he got Hellraiser and I'm stuck playing Sid Vicious I think he well I think Gary Oldman may have been going for Dr. Chenard as well right so about, or yeah. just like I want to I want to be in the Hellraiser movie because would have been insane oh my god um, and would that have cost us when Sid and Nancy was around the same time right ish yeah I mean because that was his breakout, really. It was, 
Yeah, I was about to say it's like, look, do it, like it would be one more iconic role or one less iconic role, but that was like the first really big one. I just don't think the intro, the movie, like Sid and Nan, like uh, it, it's it's a fine movie. Always like Alex Cox, but mm-hmm. I, I don't really go nuts for that movie. No, it definitely put. Gary it, Oldman, yeah, yeah, put him on the map. Yeah, and we also have a uh, uh, professional American William Hope. As uh, Kyle, the intern, or, you know, sidekick doctor, uh, he is uh, Lieutenant Gorman in Aliens and uh, Ambassador Standish in the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock movie. And he pops up in a, a lot of the... He, he's in, like, Blink and You'll Miss Him in The Saint because, you know, mm-hmm. English productions and we need somebody that yeah. does, has an American accent. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I wonder if he's done another, like, second sequel. We can take a look at that while we watch. I'll take a look at that while we watch. I also uh, do want to roll back uh, for Tony Randall, uh, director of this. This was his official first uh, big screen film. He was an uncredited director on DEFCON 4, which I feel like I've seen and I don't remember, but I, 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 it fell I, in with a lot of space horror, like cheapy space horror from the 80s. I never got around to it because I hadn't seen DEFCON 1 through 3. <laughs> I honestly, I had confused it with the fourth protocol of Pierce Brosnan movie that I had seen mm. and skipped it until I realized, oh, this just looks like a cheap horror movie. And at that point of the video store browsing, I was really looking for the good stuff, not realizing that the cheap the cheap stuff that's what I was into yeah Uh, so after Hellbound Hellraiser 2 uh, he did um, a series of Inside Out sci-fi movies for the Playboy channel awesome Uh, was there sort of yeah sci-fi like anthology series kind of Red Shoe Diaries with dial-up yeah um, Three he moves. did <laughs> Children of the Night, the first Fangoria produced horror movie. Oof. Um, and then after Children of the Night, he did Amityville 1992. It's about time. Oh, God, right. He did. Yep. And man, you know, comparing the two, he really did get better. He improved. About time look. About time looks a zillion times better than this movie. It about time looks better than Hellraiser two. It still is not a great looking movie. Um, I'm getting sucked in because of the production value. Like the sets of the house looked really good and all. But the, the lighting of, the of it. Uh, is, no, you're, you're right. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, yeah, I'm getting sucked um, in because yeah. Yeah, followed by Ticks, uh, featuring Amy Dolan's and I believe Peter Scalari. Uh, yes, but also Seth Green and Clint. Oh, that's right. Clint Howard in there. Uh, then finally... I knew the film was infested. Oh, gotcha. I rented it on VHS as Ticks um, with, oh, that's the girl from She's Out of Control. I was like, oh, that's that guy that's in the Buffy show and like a zillion other things yeah. that I've seen as a kid. Yeah. And rounds out. He he has other things he's directed over the years since, mm-hmm. like TV episodes of things here and there. But he did do uh, the 1995 live action Fist of the North Star, uh, which I have not, not great. I have not heard good <laughs> things about it. Um, knowing how he shoots things, I don't feel like he would have been a good person to turn an action animation into a live action thing. Just my my my, my take. I mean. You know, maybe it's like a good thing. Like you, you, you waste 
you, you have Tony Randall direct the the anime adaptation. That's not going to have even a single Asian person in it. Yeah, like we will save like the live the good live action adaptation for a good director. Mm-hmm. It's I will say. Um, Actually, yeah, Fist of the North Star is his lowest reviewed mm-hmm. thing on IMDb. Under Ticks and all of the uh, Playboy Channel um, sci fi anthologies oh. and the Amityville film he did. I do remember, like, if only in retrospect, having watched all these amateur direct-to-video things, it's about time. Uh, it was an entertaining it, one. It, it, it was pretty that good. Was one that I yeah. think, yeah, we enjoyed. That was the time loop in the living room uh-huh. and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the the toilets inexplicably all on the sidewalk. Oh God, that was that one, wasn't it? it yeah, was that one. yeah, it was weird, but. Anyway, wanted to you know just because we have a director who's worked in two of our franchises. Now. I, hey, hey, all right. That's crazy. How much? How little overlap there's actually going to be, considering that there are forty Amityville movies. Mm, so far, so far. God damn it. Well, while that heart, while that fear is lurking, let us go, Hellbound, Hellraiser Two. And we're back. Man. I still love Hellraiser 2. Yeah, it's Hellraiser 2. It's great. <laughs> it's amazing. It's, uh, we'll get into the discussion, of course, but... We are but, discussing. Right, but, like, while this one, I feel like I can nitpick as we're watching it a little bit more of, okay, that makes sense, or that's not really great, or whatever. Mm. I enjoy watching this one more. Yeah. Uh, as compared to the first one. Yeah. Mm. Like, the first one is technically a better made movie, makes yeah. more sense, holds to its own logic better. This one's more fun. It's, it is. It's like, this fun. is more horror, horror movie shenanigans and silliness yeah. and stuff. Which yeah. We do love that. This is more of a thrill ride rather than mm. the first one being... It's meditative, slow, like, introspective, like... It's like, uh, the first one's a haunted house story just weirder than the normal type of haunted house right. story. Yeah. Whereas this one is we are exploring the further reaches of hell. Right. right? Like we're going on an adventure. Mm-hmm. And not what is the internal suffering, like what is the mental anguish so much as, oh, this is all about like physical pain. This is all mm-hmm. about like tactile hell. Yeah. The first but one. But also is, some mind games. There's definitely mind games, but the first one was much more of about the mind games. Oh, yeah, this yeah, one was yeah, much gotcha, more about gotcha, the gooey. Gotcha. So gooey, this movie. Very gooey. Uh, now, like, both of them are gooey. Both of them are very gooey. Preliminary question Does this movie stand on its own? No, it is entirely. Yeah, it's. You need the first one to make any sense of this. Mm-hmm. And even then, it doesn't entirely make its own sense. No. Some of the, it. Yeah, yeah, there's some bits. But, like, yeah, like, Hellraiser's 3 through 11 do sort of work on their own. Like, it, it, you'll enjoy them more if you are familiar with things. but To a degree, but when they're contradicting each other, then it starts to be an issue. Which is, again, one of the reasons why I think... But we're going to explore that. Or even less of an issue, though. Because if they're, con- what does it matter that they're contradicting each other? I haven't seen any of the other ones. They're 
better as standalone than actually as a part of a franchise. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I thought we were just looking at can a movie stand on its own. Ah. Oh no! Yeah. Oh no! But like oh, the only fact for that this one. Uh, this one, yeah. I almost, I almost never watch Hellraiser one by itself. I almost always watch them together because yeah. it feels like the conclusion of Kirsty's story is in this movie as opposed to the first yeah. one. But like strength of the the loose concepts, uh, the bold visuals, and just the world building. Yeah, basically between the comic books, the short stories, the you know the other movies. Yeah, that like this works much better as a standalone anthology series. Yeah, can leave leave all continuity aside. Like the more you try and make any sense of it, the worse it kind of yeah becomes. I mean, after four, it was still unified overall before four. Yeah, so yeah. Peter Atkins uh, worked on all three scripts. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. After four, it's a free for all. But yeah. one through four. Well, starting with five, it was like we were talking about before. Other scripts getting gr- dragged into the series. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. All right. But we start with a uh, flashback from the end of the first film. Or actually, no, just the, the the last few minutes of the first film, which I kind of missed that from the 80s. Like your, Previously uh, on? Yeah, like the Friday the 13th did that a lot. Uh, Halloween definitely did that. Yeah. Uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 did that. Uh, <laughs> and then some... <laughs> Yeah, and we looked up, it was three years between Silent Night, Deadly Night 1 and 2, so three years, and they still use 30, 35%? Something like that. Yeah. It's, the first it, it's not closer to half than not, but it is closer to half. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I want to say it's no roundabout, pretty much an even third of the movie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, definitely, definitely. But after the uh, the last few moments of the previous film, bam! Christopher Young blows you away with the updated or with the uh, the the theme of Hell Hellbound Hellraiser Two. Just mm-hmm. like the whereas it was like mo- orchestral but moody and everything. This is just bombast. We are going to hell and it is going to suck. Yeah, full chorus, full like we have money this time. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we yeah. do. We're going and big. you can see the cracks on the budget through the movie. Like every time Kirsty keeps leaning up against a wall, it vibrates. I still like looking at Tony Randall's other movies. I just think that's a problem with him. Okay. I think the sets might have been fine. He just the way he has shot every room and everything I I can think of, even when he was shooting in a real house in that Amityville movie, mm. it looked like a set. Like, the real house looked fake. Okay. I just don't think... I think it's a problem with the way he lights and shoots. He can't project verisimilitude. No. It just always ends up looking like a facade. I now understand that word. I've always had confused with uh, the non-rice bits and rice and rice. That's vermicelli. I have those sorted out in my head now. This has been a major breakthrough. I am so happy for you. Yeah. See, and this ties into the therapy theme mm-hmm. uh, throughout the course of the film because Kirsty is a guest of the Chenard Insti- Mental Institute. Mm-hmm. 
and it's weird. So it picks up basically in the retcon of where the last one left off because at the end of the last one uh, the house imploded or exploded or just kind of like zapped out of existence. There were smoldering piles in a field. There were piles in a field and uh, now the house is just back and mm. it was all it, it never left because we need a way for Julia to come back. Which again kind of puts it in you know Amityville adjacent. A little bit. We have a house in the New York area that has been destroyed and has re- reappeared. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody, th- there's got to be some goofy website that does, like, you know, all the horror movie, uh, like, real estate listings, like, for all these houses. Like, the, uh, like somebody trying to sell 1428 Elm Street gotcha. and stuff like yeah. that. You know, just silly, silly shit. But if uh, not, somebody out there should make it and after, send it to Lincoln. We'll talk about it. Yeah, after they finish our Wikipedia page. Or you know what? Let people find their own passions. We no, no. I want them to do free things for us. I don't want the Wikipedia guy to be working on the real estate one and vice versa, because those might just be separate passions we're squashing. Well, yeah, that's why you know prioritize. Do our Wikipedia page. I'm saying find a thing to make our universe better. This is why we don't to make your money. own strength. This is why we don't make money. I'm trying to delegate. No, you're trying to indulge people who aren't doing things for us. I'm telling them to do whatever benefits us and you're trying to give them assignments. No, no, no. the Wikipedia page benefits us. The real estate page, that's just a fun thing for everybody. I want things that benefit us directly. Oh, us only. No, directly. Well, <laughs> anyway, uh, so Kirsty is in the hospital. Uh, the police have questions because they're, you know, what, just short of a baker's dozen worth of dead bodies in that house? Yeah. And, like, Larry's, he appears to be dead twice. We don't understand it. Uh, we let your friend Steve go. Steve, the annoying boyfriend, has just been let go. Well, A, he's a guy. That's true. So, I mean, his word is good. Yeah. Um, B, he's a schmuck and they probably smell bad. <sighs> God, he does just reek of ineffectual throughout the entire first film. Yeah. Like, you may be involved in this somehow, sir. Like, you're not above suspicion. But to be honest, you're kind of just wasting our time today. You're not going to be able to answer any questions that we've got. If you're a lead, we know where to find you because we we just don't think you're that much of a lead. Like, that we know where to find you pretty much takes you off of our radar. Mm, Fair, fair. Uh, But they have questions for Kirsty because they're putting it all on Kirsty and God bless her she just keeps giving them the truth and the truth is insane and yeah. so this truth will not set you free no it actually ends up locking her up and like uh, I, I like that like right from the beginning the uh, the police detective sets up the fairy tale theme mm-hmm. that's gonna be playing throughout the whole movie it's like can you give me the truth like what happened without any like demons or fairy tales or whatever mm-hmm. and I, like I was really watching for the fairy tale theme and it came up in a bunch of different places that I don't normally notice mm-hmm. like you get the obvious like parallel Parallels between like uh, Julia and Kirsty is like Snow White and uh, uh, the evil stepmother and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Like even by name here and there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. They they just flat out say it. But 
I never really got the uh, parallel of Julia kind of just being a genie. Like, Chenard does the ritual, the, the mystical creature shows up, and she immediately offers him a bo- like what is the boon that you want right like I'm, I've am i been summoned clearly you want something gotcha and the, the puzzle box being the lamp oh, yeah alright and or the mattress for well, Julia right, yeah. yeah and uh, then just the, all of running throughout hell is just the horrible version of Alice in Wonderland true the whole yeah. thing with yeah. the maze imagery and everything but yeah it works yeah this movie works I love this movie. So, uh, Dr. Chenard is played by uh, Kenneth Cranham from uh, Layer Cake. He's Jimmy the Asshole Mobster. Mm. And uh, he's one of the uh, NWA in Hot Fuzz. Right. Okay. He, he's, I forget which what, what his character name is, but he's the guy in the countryside that says, like, another beautiful day in God's country before his wife gets scissor kicked in the face by uh, Simon Pegg. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've been having a debate with one of my friends. Uh, he keeps saying that Hot Fuzz isn't good. Oh, he's wrong. And, and even worse, he says it is a subpar follow-up to Shaun of the Dead. Well, first off, if you're setting par off of one entry, that's not how par works. <laughs> um, just, you know, being an average and whatnot. Yeah. But all three of them are delightful movies that have their own thing to say. Oh, yes. I personally think Hot Fuzz is a better movie than Shaun of the Dead. And I'm a person that will watch Shaun of the Dead every single day of the week. It's just... Yeah. Hot Fuzz just has so much more going on. Is All the three thing. of them, I think, are wonderful ways to spend an afternoon. Oh, and I feel like World's End doesn't get nearly enough credit. Well, it's because it's not necessarily a comedy. And that, I think, throws people off. Um... I will say it's not a comedy to everyone, but there is... Are we going to do one of these things where we're saying basically the same thing, but we get hung up on phrasing? Potentially, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's just, no, there's definitely scenes in that movie that, <laughs> if you've been through that, this is hysterical. Yeah. If you haven't been through it, you have no idea what we're talking about. That's fair. Yeah. So, it's, a fra- it's definitely, the, a lot of the humor comes from frame of reference. So... Anyway, the end. <laughs> but uh, I will say about Chenard, an important lesson. If the mental facility you or a loved one is going to is named for a doctor that currently works there, mm. find another one. They may have borderline personality disorder themselves. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's, and that's bare minimum of your problems. Yes. Like, it could be so much worse. But, yeah, if that's if that's your situation, find another hospital. For real. Like, who's naming things after themselves? Like, you, you don't even have, like, a dead wife or something or yeah. a relative you can name it after. Mm-hmm. And, like, you're not allowed to pick your own nickname. Why do you think you get to pick your own hospital name? Mm, but he probably paid for it. Well, I mean, it's still rampant ego, but, like, people will try to pick their own nickname all the time. Yeah. And it doesn't work. People still don't want to call me T-Bone. Yes. (laughs) Openly. There's a separate petition that has so many more signatures. I know. But T-Bone. My name starts with a T. Uh Uh-huh. T-Bone. But... 
it implies that you just like to sideswipe people. Yeah. Well, no, not sideswipe. I like to T-bone them. I guess it depends on approach. Yeah, that would be the difference between sideswiping and T-boning someone. So again, we're saying the same thing. I hate you so much. I hate you so much. This is the last one we're ever doing. This is the last podcast. Anyway, they won't let Kirsty. Chinari won't let Kirsty go under the guise of she has mental problems and we need to treat her. But really, Dr. Chenard is secretly a hell enthusiast and has been desperately trying to figure out a way to get to hell to get things no he no he flat out says he wants the knowledge he wants like to know the things you're not supposed to yeah. know which is a recurring theme in all of Clive Barker's stuff mm-hmm. but the thing is he doesn't even know what he doesn't know to not know that he needs to know what he doesn't know so he doesn't know what kind of pain he's in for before he knows the things he's not supposed to know that he doesn't know that he is not figured out yet did you know that Exactly. <laughs> I watched Mystery Men yesterday. It is still the best. Yes, you may bring Zabruskis. Of course you may bring Zabruskis. Uh, Jeffrey Rush was never in a Hellraiser movie. He was not. That would have been awesome. Yeah, he was on The House on Haunted Hill, though. He's really good in The House on Haunted Hill. Yeah, doing, uh, as he said in interviews, people think he was doing a Vincent Price because of the mustache and the accent. Yeah. Uh, he said flat out, he's like, no, that was too obvious. But I thought of who would do something this tacky? John Waters. Yes. So, especially for all you, you know, Balmer homies. Um, next time you watch House on Haunted Hill, there's 100% just a John Waters impression front to back. And yeah. he, and he nails it. It's just, it was like this weird, goofy coincidence that with the mustache, he really is a dead ringer for Vincent Price. Yeah. But, yeah. The, but the mustache... It works, it works on every angle. It does. But the the mustache is the pencil th- is the pencil stash for John yeah. Waters. Cause, yeah. yeah. So good. But so, Chenard... Uh, surreptitiously gets Ju- the the mattress that Julia opened the box on for like the two seconds if you pay- were paying attention mm-hmm. at the end of the first movie and uh, delegates Kirsty's treatment to Dr. Kyle. Kyle's so much more effective than Steve is. Steve is. Sure. He's a doctor. Um, he can get clothes. He looks like John Delancey playing Tom Villard. Who's Tom Villard? Um, okay. Uh, okay. Short, was, no, no, no. Short answer. Just give me the short. Give me the. Give me the thing it's from, and I'll look it up. <laughs> One of the leads when he's when she's got it made. Uh, he was in Greece too. He's one of the, he's the other brother in One Crazy Summer to Bob Goldthwait. The Stork Brothers. Okay. Yeah. See, that was it. You're wearing a Grease 2 shirt. You could have just said Grease 2. And I was like, okay, I know, but he's not a major character in it. I mean, he basically has, oh, I think I'm going to throw up during reproduction, but not a huge role. What am I saying? Some fucking popcorn. Oh, is he the dude in popcorn? He's the dude in popcorn. Okay. See? That's, yeah. It just took me a while to get there. Fair. But wearing a Grease 2 shirt, I, well, I didn't think of popcorn <laughs> first. That is and good. you're wearing a stuffed t-shirt, and he's not Garrett Morris. No, more happily. I, Garrett Morris just doesn't seem like he was enjoying any of the things I've seen him in. Doesn't seem like it, no. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, so, and we're also introduced to Tiffany. Tiffany. 
played by Imogen Borman, I believe. Okay. Um, uh, a uh, mute puzzle-solving person mm-hmm. who Dr. Chouinard is keeping around for reasons. Uh, because I like her facial structure and her hair, whenever I see her, I always just think of Brad Pitt as Louis in Interview with the Vampire. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, you know, big jaw jawline and just the lion's mane type of hair throughout yeah. the whole thing. <sighs> Yeah, kind of the kind of styling that starts with the temples and more or less skips out after you figured that out. Well, I kind of like like it. Kind of does read as you know, this is the haircut you have in the mental hospital where people are just giving you the easiest, cheapest haircut they can give you. Yeah, without clippers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. just you know doing that. But so in fairly short order. Uh, Dr. Chouinard gets a uh, the extended flashback from Kirsty explaining all the events of the first movie, which mm-hmm. makes liberal use of deleted footage from the first film. We mm-hmm. see the wedding of Julia and Larry and Frank just giving them dead eye stares through the whole thing. It's mm-hmm. quite like it's like this. The shot is like right in the foreground is Larry and Julia saying "I do," and in the background, Frank is just giving them this look like "I will murder." both of you for reasons I don't even care about you but I want to murder you people (laughs) well it's great because it helps you like use all that footage that like can expand the you know the story in ways that didn't fit the first one you can find a place for those beats but also every minute of reusable footage is a day or two off of shooting exactly everybody wins yeah and plus this is how we screw over Andrew Robinson who didn't want to come back for the money we were all, we were going to give him mm-hmm. they should have gave him more money yeah a little bit at least I don't know how like I don't know how Larry would fit in this the movie as it is but you're well want if you're Robinson going back. to hell to find him and rescue him yeah you find maybe him. you could have <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah. you're right my bad and spoiler for the movie that's been out this long she don't yeah (laughs) but uh so uh Dr. Chouinard this is like the the most horrendous part of the whole film if it ain't nice uh Dr. Chouinard takes one of the mental patients who perpetually thinks that bugs are crawling all over his body takes him to his home where he's got the Julia mattress takes off his straitjacket which is literally there to protect him from himself hands him a straight razor and then you know to charge credit he stays in the room like other people could have just gone out for a cigarette and just mm-hmm. waited but this is kind of his whole project so yeah you know and so you see this guy just slash himself to ribbons and it keeps intercutting with like what he is seeing so he's like it's like covered in maggots mm-hmm. and trying to cut them off with a straight razor and I hate even describing it right now yeah like some of the shots are just I mean the sound effects sell it but it's just mm-hmm. a guy taking a dull razor and just kind of dragging it all over his chest and neck and there's fake blood everywhere but the sound effects sell it and seriously inserting those uh, and, he, and he is just both of us were looking away and neither one of us are timid no we are not we watch this stuff every day because you know we're cool and yeah. badass and you, you're jealous of us because we're so manly I've had a beer yeah my life <laughs> <laughs> it's good I got wasted 
It's like it's crazy because the scene goes on for so long that when Julia's arms erupt from the mattress, like with no skin, it's like, oh, thank God, mm-hmm. this means we're close to the end. But no, there's like another three minutes of the, of Julia trying to eat him, yeah, uh, by like sucking the juice out of him with her fingers. Mm-hmm. It also it kind of like over like her entrance is like a little like brings bringing in the sexuality mm-hmm. like right out of the gate cause like her like so the guy's laying on his back on the mattress and then the ar- the, the, the arms erupt out and then pin him down across his chest but then the legs pop up and they kind of hook around him as well mm-hmm. which uh is you know moderate sexy times yeah and skinless, but then you see the face, and then, ugh. and uh, let's see, skinless Julia was played by Deborah, an actress named Deborah Joel, but um, Claire Higgins' voice is being dubbed over top of it, and the combination is very effective. Mm-hmm. Like the body language that Deborah Joel has of just being not standoffish, but cold and reserved and not wanting to give you anything. Mm-hmm. And then Julia's voice the entire time. It's so good. Like, I ended up, like, I stopped taking, like, any real notes, and I just was writing down the uh, the lines that I love, that, like, live rent-free in my head. Like, get them off of me is uh, the, the crazy guy. But um, Julia coming out and wandering around the house with no skin, uh, she takes like a good long look in the mirror at what all of her choices have led to, mm-hmm. punches the mirror until it shatters, like with no skin on her fingers yeah. or her knuckles, and then just kind of quietly resigns herself and says, I'm cold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like just the understatement of the year. Yeah. And then, uh, and then does the '80s fashionable thing of white pants and white sport coat, no shirt, <laughs> the thin bloody duke. Yeah, <laughs> just also, you know, yeah. it, it, it's it's a look. It's a good look. They're much like the first one. They're just these images yeah. that are put that you know you just wouldn't see in other things. It's just this person with no skin wearing a white linen suit that is completely stained everywhere mm-hmm. with with blood. And then uh, I like just the implied details. Like she takes a glass of wine that Trinard has laid out for her, and the way she reacts to it. We have no idea how time passes in hell. Mm-hmm. Like, has she been in? Because, like, in real time, she's only been dead for what, maybe five days a week oh, yeah. at the most. And she looks like she has not tasted wine for a millennia. Yeah. <sighs> Never open a Hellraiser box. I mean, that's generally, I think, one of the messages of these films. And easy, most of the time. Yeah. Mercifully. Yeah. And actually, that's one of the crucial things. We get, like, one of the most important uh, defining moments of the Hellraiser series and the Cenobites is uh, when Chenard gets Tiffany to open the box. Uh, she solves the puzzle, of course, because she solves every puzzle. That's mm-hmm. what she does. That's what Chenard has. That was what she wanted to do. She didn't have any interest in any of the side stuff. She just likes puzzles. Exactly. And... Um, uh, the Cenobites show up and the Deep Throat, the female Cenobite, is literally sharpening her knives. And from off screen, you hear Pinhead say, wait! And he mm-hmm. makes his 
big grand entrance and man again the Christopher Young score just yeah. huge and uh, he explains that it is not hands that call us yeah. it is desire you have to want to open the box mm-hmm. this is the equivalent of the Cenobites realizing that the 30 pizzas that were called in <laughs> Actually, we're called in from this house. We're going to show up to that guy's house with the pizzas and make him pay for it. Yeah. Not this, you know, poor victim. Like, we're we're all screwed here. That guy's the asshole. Let's go take care of this. Exactly. Because, like, and that's, like, the crucial thing. Like, it's not even, you don't even have to really do any sort of mental gymnastics. Like, in the first movie, Kirsty does not know what the box is, but she wants to open it. She is compelled Mm -hmm. to do it. And the Cenobites uh, explain, like as long as you're not pure of heart we get to do whatever we want doesn't mm-hmm. matter yeah. uh, Tiffany <coughs> li- literally has no anima like yeah. you put her in front of a thing she does a thing she mm-hmm. there's she becomes a person by the end of the film yeah but, but she has been lost in her head since yeah. yeah she doesn't even know where she is mm-hmm. let alone that she's doing a thing it's just I love that crucial distinction but uh, again in terms of wondering about uh, or looking at things differently on this viewing when uh, Pinhead says it's not hands that call us it's desire always I mean obviously Chenard's desire right. is there but uh, the box doesn't close the gates to hell stay open for the duration of the film yeah, why Kirstie's also got her desire to find her father Kirstie has the desire to find the father and also Julie has the desire to bring as many souls back as possible mm-hmm. at minimum just cause fuck you at yeah. maximum it gets her in good in you know the eternal torment right but yeah, definitely. But the Kirsty desire so crucial this time around. Mm-hmm. Uh, never picked up on that before. But yeah, because uh, Pinhead, well, the Cenobites in general, all kind of had a consensus of, yeah, you got away once. Um, they call it a trick from the first movie. It was more of a bargain as a exchange. Bargain. But and they reneged. Yeah, like that's that, true. Like they said, well, first they said maybe, but then they don't give her anything. And yeah. So it's just like, hey, if you're not going to help me, if you're not going to be nice to me, I'm not going to be nice to you either. Yeah, so their whole not being villains of the piece argument, not entirely true, because oh, they yeah. sus. Yeah. Oh, also, love adults. Like, the once again, the... For the, at least the first half of the film, the driving action is Chenard and Julia. Yeah. Uh, Kersey is definitely much more prominent here, and they're from the begin, like much more of the beginning, and more of a character. But like this time around, watching it, it was like, wow, Kersey really isn't the hero or even the protagonist of any of these films. Well, yeah, like in the first one, she was barely even a factor until the final act when we needed her. Mm-hmm. This one, she's at least present through the movie, but yeah, she's just kind of there and we both were making comments through the whole thing about oh she's not very good at this like we keep forgetting that there's no rule that says your protagonist has to be smart has to be good at the things that they're doing um has like usually somebody makes a bad decision in a horror movie and that's the end for them Mm. but you can have characters that just are constantly messing up and it's just not helping yeah like, we were making fun of her 
towards the end of the film because she just kept repeating. She kept stating every obvious thing and then asking questions like, you know, Kirsty, if you stopped for like a second, yeah, and like kind of accept that you're in a crazy situation and that there may be a crazy answer mm-hmm. to your question. Yeah, look around the room, figure out what you can yes and, and pick up the puzzle box that you leave behind at least twice. Yeah, it was. Oh my god. And speaking of the puzzle box, we see a new configuration. It, several. Uh, yeah, several. Uh, so we get the uh, all, all, all the stuff that we saw from the first one. We have the circle opening up in a, in like a crisscross pattern, which mm-hmm. before it was much more of like uh, Trivial Pursuit pie pieces yeah. in the first one. But then when uh, Kirsty uh, is trying to use the box to send the Cenobites home, even though they are home uh pinhead just kind of waves his hand and it turns into this diamond uh formation yeah which is also the same shape as the god leviathan yeah actually was that like okay they call it the god but it also is just kind of like a mood ring like whatever phase the box is in it kind of turns like a dark lighthouse too Yeah. yeah 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 That was the, um, so I have, the only, I, the replica I have of the Hellraiser box was the, uh, the NECA stands. The first wave of, uh, NECA Hellraiser figures, they all came with a stand. It was six figures, and each figure had a stand, and the stand was a side of the box. Nice. And that was the only, uh, version of the box that I will ever allow in my presence, let alone in my possession, because I know for a fact that there's nothing in it. Mm. It's not a, there's no puzzle to solve. You just put the you put just put the sides together and that's it. I had a Rubik's Cube style one. No. But yeah, not solving it. No. And the actually I have I think it might have been the first licensed one from Screamin', mm-hmm. the old model company. Okay. Oh, uh, that was like the actual Chinese puzzle box. Yeah. Yeah. No. no I, I, I got so, that. It was like ten bucks sure. and it's just it's very simple. It slides yeah. apart, you can mm-hmm. hide stuff in it. Yeah. I know what I put in it and it's not Doesn't matter. Right. Oh no no no. I saw that in stores all the time too as a kid. And I was like, that's still a puzzle. That's still a thing that you have to solve. Yeah, I think I, my mindset could, might have get just you been more. Way. They could get you that way. I think my mindset was more bring it. Mm. Yeah, well, you're tougher than me. But anyway, the second wave, uh, the build a figure thing was the diamond, uh, floaty Leviathan, right? Which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And also then and then there was like the super. They did like a twelve inch deluxe thing for Dr. Chenard. Like, I think he was in scale with everybody, but they put it in the 12-inch box so they could, you know, have the stand and everything gotcha. going along yeah. with it. Ugh. Dr. Chenard. So, Dr. Chenard is on a guided tour of hell with Julia, who, you know, I guess in this analog would be Dante to Chenard's Virgil. Or no, Vir- uh, Julia's Virgil to Chenard's Dante. Okay. Because she's guiding him through hell. 
and uh, she brings him to the Cenobite machine, which there's the, I mean, is there any other word for it? No, it's the it's the Tasty Freaks machine. Oh God, yes. Yeah, it's it's this. Uh, it is this giant cabinet that comes up from the side and has all like the same markings as the Hellraiser box and it's where you get your blood drained out and your blue juice put in and Julia's little monologue here is just amazing like I just love Claire Higgins so much in these movies where it's just like he's freaking out because you know everything sucks now and it's just like uh they let me back because they wanted souls. I or you wanted. Uh, uh, they brought me back because they wanted souls. I brought them you. You're here because you wanted to know. Now you know. Mm-hmm. And I wanted everything. Now everybody's happy. <laughs> As he's and that's left to battle. It's so good. It's so good. So mean, Julia. God damn it. Just the best. Damn. Um. um. And then we have the family reunion. Bunch of slabs coming in and out of the room with undulating bodies under silk sheets. Yeah. And it turns out, like, yeah, Christy well, tries to pull one of the sheets back. The body disappears because this is Frank's torment, is he's surrounded by these writhing naked ladies that he can never touch. Yeah. And, again, he's been there about five days. About five days or a million years. Yeah. Give or hell. take. Because yeah. hell. Oof. Oof. But Frank's got his skin. So yeah. there's that. And uh, he's being... I don't think he's being ADR this time around. It's it, it's either really good ADR mm-hmm. or it's actually Sean Chapman gets to actually speak for himself this yeah. time around. And probably his practice is American accent a little more. A little more. Uh, but so it turns out that uh, when Kirsty saw a, a vision of a skinless figure say, uh, writing, I am in hell or help me I am in hell uh, it turns out that message was not from her father because uh, why would it be yeah. and uh, it's from he was Frank. a nice guy I mean yeah. he didn't open the box either so. didn't open the box and he was a nice guy so yeah, there's no real reason to think he would be in hell despite, uh, in spite of what Pinhead was saying yeah but Pinhead's a liar yeah he's fine and he doesn't even know the whole story that's a good point. He doesn't know what happens outside of his little purview. Yeah, he didn't even remember being human. That's a good point. So, uh, Frank has has tricked Kirsty into going to hell so that he has somebody to have sex with. Yep. Who happens... I mean, it's not that he wanted to have... The, like, of all the women on the planet Earth, he wanted to have sex with his niece. It's just, this is the person I could trick. Right. He's an opportunist, that Frank. He's the worst. He is so bad. I hate him so much. But uh, Kirsty opts for no and takes one of the aforementioned sheets and throws it onto a candle, which causes everything to burst into flames. Mm-hmm. And up to and including this little 8x10 glossy of Frank, which I feel like it was like some sort of voodoo doll sort of thing. Like, I thought it was or, like a Johnny Cage moment. Yeah. Or like a picture of Dorian Gray. Okay. It's like, what happens to the picture happens to you sort of thing. Yeah. And so all of Frank's skin starts coming off again because poor Frank. Good old Frank. Fucker. And then Julia shows up, and Frank immediately goes into like the usual, uh, come on, 
do all the things for me. I want I like come over here. I want to kiss you. I'm bored. Mm-hmm. I want to have sex. And Julia gives him a little kiss to distract him from the fact that she has reached into his rib cage from behind and pulls out his heart. Yep. That's your fatality right there. Yep, that's the true Johnny Cage moment. That's the Johnny Cage moment. But yeah, she um She's now villain prime. If there's any doubt before, right. all doubt is removed. Yeah. This was all pretty much on her, but you know, so Frank is out of the picture. We still have the Cenobites to deal with. We still have Dr. Chenard and Dr. Chenard and the Cenobites have to deal with each other. Yeah. But we, so we, we, we basically have it's a mad, 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 mad Hellraiser. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This movie could have been made better if Dr. Chenard was played by Spencer Tracy. Oh, I'm not against it. I'm not against it. But we or see Gary Oldman. As or Gary Oldman. Oh, that would have been funny. But uh, Dr. Chenard emerges from his uh, day spa and is now fully cinnabited out. Mm. And uh, another, again, another line that lives rent free in my head. And to think, I hesitated. And uh, immediately gets uh, anchored or. I don't know what the word would be. They a giant umbilicus, umbilicus, it like emerges from the void and drills into his skull. Yeah, with the same kind of mini drill that he had used for lobotomies previously in the film. Indeed, because he's a a, a neurosurgeon and a monster. Yeah. Uh, and so, th- so for the rest of the movie, Doctor Chenard is floating, uh, tethered to this very fat penis-looking thing mm-hmm. that is always oozing. Yeah. Again, the goo in this movie. A lot of goo. It's a lot of goo. A lot of goo. Uh, but uh, Julia, Tiffany, and Kirsty are kind of having a fight over the box. Uh, uh, Julia's skin splits off and she gets like pulled into the void again yeah yeah that's that's pretty much the end of the character for the entire franchise. Uh, unfortunately, we we get like a little a brief moment towards the end where it's like she may have come back, but mm. it turns out to be Kirsty. Yeah, but we'll get there. Um, but like for the prime villain of two movies, she just it's a really nothing kind of shot of her just getting zipped down this hallway. It is anticlimactic. Um, I feel like they did that with the plan of the original ending. Because, like, the original ending, there is footage of it, or at least there's a picture of it. I've seen it. Where, uh, so the, and the jumping around, sorry, folks, but again, the movie's 30 years old and it's Hellraiser 2. You've probably seen it. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't excuse the remarkably low energy from Pat, but, you know. I'm sorry, I had caffeine. I know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on with you either. But anyway, I love you. Uh,. When uh, at the end of the movie, the mover, one of the movers, is fucking around with the Julia mattress, and then gets pulled in, gets drained, and then the pillar uh, that is uh, always showing up in the Cenobites workroom, yeah, uh, emerges. And Their training post, like in any, uh, you know, karate movie. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that emerges, and several main characters and/or Cenobites are kind of bound into this thing and then it'll be explored much in greater detail in the next film. But there's a different... The original ending is 
the mover fucks around with the mattress, gets pulled in, and then instead of the pillar emerging, it's uh, Julia fully skinned already in like a knockout black ballroom gown, and she is now the queen of hell. The problem is Claire Higgins didn't want to be the queen of hell. She did not... I don't think she hated making these movies, but she didn't want to make horror movies for the rest of her life. And gotcha. So, and especially, I, again, at the, at the time in the 80s, if you got typecast, uh, that's all you were doing. For real. Um... But that was a loss for us. But I think that's why, like her dis- her end in the film as it is now, is so anticlimactic because it's like, oh, she w- she's gonna get sucked down the hallway, but she's gonna emerge later, gotcha. as, as the queen. Hmm. But it's a bummer. Yeah. Um. But so now, once again, uh, Kirsty and Tiffany, uh, the Cenobites, are bored. And you don't want to, like, the only thing worse than an excited Cenobite is a bored Cenobite. Because if they get bored, they get creative. And no, but mm. Pinhead and company are tired of this bullshit. We, we let you run around for a little while. We let you do whatever with Frank. It's time to rip your flesh off. Yeah. And this is our second time bumping into you. Like, once you can say it was a mistake, but yeah. two, not a coincidence. You're yeah. literally in hell right now. You came you here. Knew you knew what you were doing us. this time. Yeah, like, you didn't summon us. You sought us out. Yeah. And whether it's true or stayed. not, argument to be made, like, yeah. I wonder if she had just stayed in the attic and just wrote it out. Just, I'll, I'll leave when the sun comes out, sort of thing. Probably would be fine. Probably would have been fine. It's that curiosity. Ah, the curiosity. This is what gets you in the Hellraiser things. Yeah. Ah, love it. But so, the Cenobites are about to, you know, play. Ugh. Time to play. Uh, with Kirsty and Tiffany's insides, when Kirsty produces a picture of Captain Elliot Spencer from the beginning of the film, because as it turns out, all of the Cenobites were human. Mm-hmm. Back upon the day, yeah. Back in the day, yeah. Like or we, back, we, in, back in different days. Well, sure, yeah. Uh, we had already found out that Pinhead was somebody at the beginning of the film because we see him, mm-hmm. as, you know, in World War One. Uh, I, I think it's like around World War One. Yeah, 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 like sitting in a barracks with the box, Doug Bradley, sans makeup. Mm-hmm. So, like, we already knew an element of that but then yeah you get to see them deconstructed back to their previous selves including uh, one was a little kid yeah the chatterer was a little kid yeah the um they get into a fight with Dr. Chenard and Dr. Chenard is like your typical overpowered bad guy mm-hmm. who just is stronger than all four Cenobites put together and this was a bone of contention among the fans at the time that the main four Cenobites get taken out like nothing yeah, this guy like tissue paper. For and real. honestly, it's fairly implied that again, the sequels give us more pinhead. But yeah, I think that was supposed to be wiped the slate clean. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, was going to be like Julia and her machinations from then on. Right. Uh, but pinhead, yeah. <laughs> you can't argue with pinhead. But and also like the only thing like I always had the theory that because the of the umbilicus is connecting Trinard directly to Leviathan, the hell god. I thought that was why he's so much more powerful. Yeah, he is actually an extension of the will of the beast rather than just 
emissaries. Exactly. Yeah. I agree. Um, but yeah, you see them all reverted back to their uh, human forms. Uh, the female Cenobite's a woman. Fat Cenobite is, you know, a portly guy. And then Chatterer is just a little boy. Yeah. And then uh, Pinhead, though, uh, gets zapped several times. And uh, uh, you, you see all of his makeup go away in stages, which was just kind of... I liked that, like, you know, he's this... They, they know that he is the lead Cenobite now. And so, you know, he gets more time. So he gets more stuff, special effects stuff. Yeah. Like, in, in the... In the, uh, the Previously on in the first uh, from in the beginning of the film, they reorder uh, the sequence of w- which Cenobites are being sent back to hell. Uh, in what order so that Pinhead is the last one because mm-hmm. he is the important one now. Yeah, instead of first out originally. Indeed. Uh, they also gave us the him getting the pins gone in and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. like we get the full origin. So with this, by removing it, we get the reversal of that process. Yes. And this will be a key plot point for the next film. Right. Uh, so, you know. Tune in next week, mm-hmm. or you know, in two weeks, whatever the schedule is. Yeah, or if you're marathoning these years from now, it's we can't control these things. Do you remember DVDs, people in the future? They were all like, that's left. Oh, once physical the servers media. went down, physical media was all we just had. saying. Just saying, it's gonna show. Mm-hmm. It's like people made fun of me for buying Young Justice on DVD when they, it started coming out on DVD. Guess what? Guess what? HBO Max got rid of. Yep, I got Justice League on DVD, nice. and I can watch it whenever I want. Stupid HBO Max. Stupid Discovery Plus. Stupid Discovery Plus. Trying to, I seriously think that might be a little bit, you know, conspiracy nut or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that Discovery Plus is trying to devalue HBO Max as its standalone service so that people go back to HBO as a TV service and more importantly, Time Warner Cable doesn't lose as many subscribers mm. because by having too many viable streaming options, cord cutters are yeah. having a great time of it and that Discovery Plus is trying to salvage the Time Warner Cable side of the business at the cost of HBO Max uh. they're picking the past over the future that's fair uh, I mean stupid. no it, it's stupid but that, it's that, the same that thing. is it's a sound theory, though. It's the same thing, like diamonds, you know, spit in the face of comicsology, and mm-hmm. that didn't work out. Um, Net or yeah, Netflix was offered to Blockbuster for I think ten million dollars, <laughs> and uh, Blockbuster said go to hell. So Netflix became Netflix, and Blockbuster went to hell. Made a show about Blockbuster and canceled it just out of spite. I don't know. It, it probably just... I, I don't know. Was it a show or a movie? I thought it was a show. I thought it was a single season. Okay. What, uh, doesn't and matter. It, 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 might it just... Yeah. Netflix made a thing about Blockbuster because holy shit. Yeah, they because could. they could. Because they could. They're like, oh, how much are the rights to the Blockbuster story? The embarrassing part? <laughs> we, we can afford that. <laughs> I don't understand how. Yeah. I've never understood how they make money. But... Our, Cenobi- our, our, our our near and dear Cenobites are gone. Mm-hmm. It's Dr. Chenard and surgical torture for all of eternity. Unless 
Tiffany, who has developed the ability to speak and comprehend her whereabouts, solves the puzzle and sends everybody, or separates hell from Earth. Yes. And also, Kirsty is there. It's kind of a function. It really is. Yeah. I hate... It's so weird because it's like... It's Hellraiser. It's like a foundational 80s horror film. And so mm-hmm. your final girls are also, you assume, are foundational as well. Your your Nancy's. She doesn't really do much. She doesn't really do much. I mean, she sends them back to hell in the first one. And right. And has a lot of guts. But... This one is a lot of, well, I guess since the portal's open, let me look for Dad. He's not here. That didn't work. We should probably get out of here. She doesn't pick up the puzzle box half the time. It's annoying. Like, she really does not seem to have any sort of game plan or awareness or And she's pissed at everybody. Yeah. Which, don't get me wrong, if you're involuntarily committed, you should be pissed at everybody. But when Dr. Ineffectual Kyle is trying to help, she's getting in his face. And Mm -hmm. it's like, dude, this is the one friend you got. Yeah. Mm. Fucking curse. Yeah. And, like, they put um, early in the film, because she was being, air quote, broken out of the mental home, uh, Dr. Kyle lends her some clothes, so she's got this suit on, which... Literally does not fit. Yeah, literally doesn't fit, but it's, I think, to make her, A, look more mature since she was a teenager. Yeah, I think, like, if the first one was six, she was 16 years old for... Hellraiser 1, she's at max 18 years old yeah. by, by this time. But she's got to be the mentor to Tiffany, so she's got to look more mature, so put her in a suit. But also um, to desexualize her. Yeah, there was a weird thing going with uh, especially when like you see like the two the two shot of mm-hmm. Tiffany and Kirsty. Kirsty in Dr. Kyle's outfit, but uh, and Tiffany she, in sweatpants and just a baggy shirt. Yeah, which almost she almost has shoulder pads in the shirt. Like, almost, yeah. She, I don't think she has shoulder pads. I think the actress is just kind of broad gotcha. uh, a little bit. But uh, They don't like to be called broads. So. I, 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 um, uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, they were looking kind of gender nondescript throughout yeah, most of the film. Was, On top of the fact that I think Tiffany looks like Brad Pitt to begin with. Yeah. But, like, really the, the entire presence of femininity in this is how much Julia... <laughs> gets more and more dialed up the more evil she gets. Yes. And also random hallucinatory women. Yeah. But, but mainly Julia. Yeah. <laughs> but there is something intentionally scary presented when you see women be beautiful in this. Yeah. It like may, it's a warning. Yeah. Run away. Yeah. They're smarter than you. They have a plan. Or just they're dangerous. They want something. There is there is some of Clive Barker's hang-ups coming through with this. I mean, is he hung up about women? I mean, he's gay, but... He's gay, but he has... I feel like that's something that's popped up in his work here and there is a hang-up of the woman on a pedestal trope and show the danger in that. Okay. I don't know. Um, Or are women the puzzle to solve themselves? I don't know. There's... Scholars can do a much better job on this than me. (laughs) 
but I feel like there is something specifically consistent about the way he presents mm-hmm. these things and the fact that he had said even through Hellraiser 4 he wanted a woman to be the villain of the franchise and not just because it's not done so much in horror yeah. but like that was a, a particular driving force for him fair enough so yeah, that's interesting yeah it's also going to be like it, it's fun we'll see kind of the counter positive to that with the next film which right. uh, predominantly has two female protagonists mm-hmm. uh, between uh, uh, Joey and uh, Paul Marshall's character I forget the character name. Yeah, well, we'll have it for next week. We'll have it for next yeah. week. And I'm I like, remember the actress. Yeah. I'm not even trying to Terry. say, like, there is... Terry. Her name's Terry. It makes it so weird. Oh, wait, that, uh, because uh, Joey Terry is... Terry Farrell, isn't it? Joey... Terry Farrell plays Joey, and uh, Paula Marshall plays Terry. That's right. It's wow. So, yeah. It's, oh, my God. It's going to be a lot of fun yeah. next week. Terry Farrell, who you may recognize not from Jane's Addiction. That's Perry. Uh, no, you would know her from either... Uh, Star don't, Trek. Don't, don't say either. You know what people know her from. Oh, the American pilot to Red Dwarf? No, from Becker. Come on. It's, <laughs> she's down to the Dax. God yeah. damn it. <laughs> but she was, she was in a very bad miscasting. Uh, the cat in the American pilot of Red Dwarf. Honestly, there's a lot of problems with that pilot. But. Wait, they, they made the cat a girl? Yep. Uh, specifically so that they there could be sexual tension. Um, except that that's not what the show is about at all. Oof. Um, that was problem one. Problem two was, as pointed out by a lot of the cast, uh, we're thinking of renaming the show White Dwarf because, um, yeah, there's nobody of color in this cast. Um, that's a concern. Yeah. Down from half the cast to none. I was about to say, I, I like I know the cat was a black guy, but I was never certain who the main. If the uh, main Lister, guy was. Uh, Craig Charles. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know his descent, but I know there's he is more not, than just being a not, white dude. You know, he's yeah, not you know, Caucasoid. So. Yeah, Caucasoid. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there were problems with the American Red Dwarf pilot. Uh, I know one set, uh, Crichton, Robert Llewellyn was doing a lot of rewrites, and he was faxing Grant and Naylor, and they were sending pages over, fixing jokes here and there that they would mm-hmm. sneak by production. Yeah. But even still, like it just did not come together. It's too British. It really like is. Not, which is not to say not great. I love British sitcoms and everything, but it's just like, and it's, there is a type of British humor that does not work over here. Yeah, and the weird thing is, in the UK, a lot of people consider it one of their more American sitcoms because of a lot of the sensibilities. I can see that. But still, yeah, it just... It's, it's, I just remember the first time I saw Red Dwarf, I was so confused because it appeared that the mayor of Zoobly Zoo was on the show. Okay. Do you remember Zoobly Zoo? I never watched it. There, uh, I'll show it to you later. Okay. I'll show you a thing later. No, I'm good. No, just a picture. Don't worry about it. It'll be fun. I'm not going to be a furry. It's not about being a furry. It's That's what it's they say. Weird... Starts with a Zoobly Zoo. No, it starts with werewolf movies. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Next thing you know, you're at a BronyCon... And one time I was walking around downtown and uh, there's like this uh, sedan full of five nerds in like very neon 
colored outfits and they were asking me how to get to the convention center I'm like I want to make a U-turn and then go down that way and did 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 and then I watched them drive off and it took me a second to realize oh god it's BronyCon this weekend isn't it <laughs> I always appreciate it. Like, you've got it, you know, at most conventions, especially for costume contests and all that kind of stuff, and like mm-hmm. and general cosplay, you need to have your weapons verified, checked, make sure there's not a real weapon underneath of it, mm-hmm. or just, you know, make sure it's safe. It's you're, you are carrying what you're claiming is a weapon. Yeah. And just sometimes watching the weapons check of there's stuff going through that's legitimate like okay these are you know these are size or this is a wooden katana but it's not like actually harmful it's not sharp and like the ones that are like oh let me really inspect this and then you have the person with the seven foot Final Fantasy cardboard and styrofoam sword actually also have to get that checked to verify it's not a real weapon I'm like this guy is, you know, this is like a, a four foot tall, like nine year old carrying a six foot sword. I'm pretty sure it's not real. There's just some comedy to be had if you would just this wait. Is that BronyCon? Well, just at uh, conventions. Oh, uh, okay. and any con yes, like, cosplay. What the hell is the connection here? <laughs> oh, just like, any cosplay con. I didn't think My Little Pony was very weapon centric. I was like, what in the hell? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not researching that. Well, no, it just... Yeah. Say Comic-Con or Katsukon next time. Or, or Otakon, or Dragon Gown, or Emerald City. I know, it, just, it, was, I was confused. Sorry, was, I was jumping was to general cosplay. To, was, yes. You went from furries to cosplay, cosplay jokes, and so I was confused. But... Bad. Let us move away from those shameful, disgusting furries and get back to our leather-clad S&M zombies from beyond the grave. Yeah. Look, we're not kink-shaming. <laughs> we're kink-shaming a little. No, we're... We're kink-delegating. No? We're delineating? We're, we're kink-segregating. Uh, that doesn't sound good. It isn't good. It isn't good. <laughs> but also, I Neither don't want to see, you know, Twilight Sparkle in hooks and flesh ribbons and... If it's Pinkie Pie, I could be convinced. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so, so our female heroes are wearing sweatpants and a pantsuit. <laughs> Bringing it back to clothes. Good. See, this is why you're yeah, a professional. Fashion. Po- this is why you're a professional podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> I might not have energy, but I have accuracy. No, oh, that's not it. Yeah. Man, I killed that momentum real quick. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time. Oh God, no. I just re- I, re- I completely forgot and just remembered that I had a sheet where I wrote down all the times we mentioned Hellraiser previously. Ah. So now I'm just trying to see if we did, on episode five, whatever Amityville that was, we do mention Tony Randall and Hellraiser 2. That would have been It's About Time, 1992. There you go. Okay. See, we're consistent. Because that would have been the first one after the NBC TV movie. Yeah. Um... Unless that was the... No, the TV movie one was The Lamp. Uh, yes. All right. Yeah. Cool. All right. 
Yeah, Ron's I thought it's about time was six 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 nineteen ninety two or six six six. So it would have been a. Uh, you know I, what? I, I don't. I don't. I don't it, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't. doesn't matter. It really does not. Um, None of this matters. Wow, dude, for real. Are you all right? Oh no, I'm just like. <laughs> this is like the second week in a row where you were just in a mood. Oh, sorry. I think the last wave of Amityville's broke something. Oh. Great. We'll see. I mean, we've got this. This this is a recharged franchise, but um, you're gonna get recharged, though, right? I hope so because <laughs> I will tell you, the Karen one really broke me. Karen was a bummer, but that was that was a while ago. That was a while, that was a while, ago. while ago. Yeah, that was like we watched that before the thing broke or the thing got stolen. That's true. Yeah. But we had to relive them. They, we did have to. Yeah, relive. we did have to do those episodes twice. I think that's probably okay. Yeah, it better be. I hope Dude. so. But anyway, so Tiffany manages to, or uh, Tiffany is trying to resolve the box to reverse it so that they can get the hell out of, or get hell out of Earth, essentially. Yeah. And Doctor Chenard shows up to, because you know he's got all his weird little tendrils uh, with all like the little gadgets on the ends of them, and it's yeah, like it's he's time a Swiss to just Army Cenobite. He's Swiss Army Cenobite. I love it. Uh, but while so he kind of shows up to fuck with uh, him, Tiffany and Kirsty. Kirsty gets thrown off to the side and then just pieces out. Yeah, which. I kind of appreciate. This is like, look, maybe if I just run fast enough, because, well, Kirstie's dumb. She mm-hmm. really, she really wouldn't be able to come up with a plan. Except she does here, because a second later, Julia shows up, and Julia starts making out with Doctor Chenard and giving Tiffany the time she needs to solve the puzzle, and. Uh, but by the time uh, Chenard realizes what's going on, uh, he goes to kill Tiffany. And then Leviathan says, you know what? This just isn't working. And so he mani- Leviathan, the god of hell, manages to tear Chenard's head off. Or the top half of his head. Yeah. It's pretty great. I always love it when, like, a decapitation uh, is from the upper, like, the upper jaw up. Right. It's not just a clean snap of the spine. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That always looks better and creepier and more horrible. Like in Final Destination, the first. Yeah. Then Stifler gets just... (laughs) Right? I had a discussion with some folks uh, earlier today or yesterday about... Final Destination 2 somebody had seen at a burlesque performance somebody went as the log from part two and literally like yeah and like had the log like like, you know stuff and all that and somehow did a break three as break free as the finale through I don't know if it was sugar glass or it was a fake glass but basically went through a windshield as the end of the act and I want to know what this looked like because that's fascinating that sounds amazing and that is literally one of the top ten scariest moments in a movie ever upsetting unsettling well it's honest to god like there's you watch Jaws you never want to go into the ocean again and Mm -hmm. regardless of if and when you ever do Jaws is in your mind even Mm -hmm. if you're not worried about it people myself included I will not drive behind certain trucks anymore. 100%. Especially if there is a log truck. No. Just no. I put it to because it was a group of folks. 
And I, I put it out there. I'm like, because some people had not seen it. They're like, oh, I've heard about that. I've heard yeah, it's intense. Different. I'm like, it's different. <laughs> you can be in a car and you can see a log truck and look at everybody else in the car and mention the log truck. You can tell by their faces yeah. who has seen Final Destination yes. 2 and who has not. Yes. Because the people who've seen it immediately just start, no, 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 slow down, slow down. Back up, back up, back up. We need to be in a different lane. Yeah. We just not here. Not even slow. Pull off. Slow down. Let's go get gas. Yeah, no. Just Let's be off the highway now. No. Yeah. And I don't even know if there are even statistics about this being a thing. I don't think it is a thing. I don't think it is either. But damn it, that No. 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 Final Destination 2 is the best one. It is. Number love the whole franchise. Love the whole franchise. Number one is a close second, but just like much like Hellraiser two, uh, the embracing of the f- the ridiculousness. The let's do it bigger and weirder and yeah. sillier. So these are the rules we have so far, but we can go here. Awesome. Cool. And both of them set up so much of the franchise for everything else. I feel like most of the, yeah, most of the process and logic of Final Destination and of Hellraiser mm-hmm. comes from the Seconds mythology. Yeah. Because, most importantly, they're building on, not replacing, mm-hmm. not retconning. It's just like, yeah. here's what worked. Let's make it even stronger. Let's, let's yes and in a place where we're not reliant on any of these characters necessarily. Yeah. This universe now can just do whatever the hell we want it to. Yes. But in order to do that, we got to get out of hell. Yeah. So... Uh, Tiffany solves the puzzle is so horrified by what happens to Shenard she falls off of the uh, one of the maze uh, parapets because there are no safety rails anywhere mm-hmm. in hell you know be forewarned yeah. and uh, everything is made in hell to look they're basically on the top of the labyrinth of hell mm-hmm. and looking down it's MC Escher stairways and loops and hallways. MC Escher designs are on the walls and like there's there's Escher all over this movie. There Something is. we had not oh, mentioned, yeah. but hell is specifically laid out like an MC Escher architectural project. Yes. Yeah. So Tiffany falls. Julia uncharacteristically goes to save her and uh, she says trust me and it's Kirsty's voice because it was Kirsty the whole time and this is when we had to take back a few of the things we said about Kirsty mm-hmm. because number one she comes up with the plan I'll put on Julia's skin yeah. and distract which she learned from Frank which she learned from Frank uh, keep it in the family um, and then she puts on Julia's skin which ew yeah just ew but then she takes the biggest hit for the team to date. She makes out with uh, Dr. Shenard Cenobite. Yeah. Not even just him as creepy doctor, but like him, like, full on. Yeah. It, you know he tastes like ashes. Blah. And, At best. You know, embalming fluid. Well, in the in the, uh, the Hellbound That's Heart, fun. they describe them as being like the the chalky white skin is because they, they're covered in ashes. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So there's that. But then they managed to get out of there, and for reasons that defy all logic, the uh, mental hospital and the police just let Tiffany and Kirsty go. 
As far as we know, they might actually be busy fighting stuff inside, and they just wandered out the back, and nobody's paid attention yet. I mean, they did have time to shower and primp. That's the only thing. Yeah. Well... And we see all the it's the, uh, the, the mental hospital is the Dr. Chenard Institute, mm-hmm. and he gone. So there's nobody in charge anymore. And apparently so, everybody's dead. Yeah. We so, saw all those wreaths on all of the patient beds. Well, we watched them get killed by Chenard. That's true. Um, yeah, he goes on a wholesale tear through them. So yeah, maybe it's just that like there's no boss and everybody's just trying to figure out who's going to run payroll and like mm-hmm. who's going to approve, you know, uh, petty cash and stuff like that. They don't have the time to worry about these two patients who said they're fine. They, I mean, they looked well enough. All things considered, yeah. they were alive. So that's that. There's that. Yeah. Like okay, Kirsty was you know under suspicion of crimes of whatnot. Blah blah blah. blah, blah. The cops are gone, cops so are she, gone. might as well let her go. And Tiffany didn't speak, and if she says, oh, I speak now, oh, then I guess you're good. And nobody even remembers what her story is. Or right. Actually, no, Kyle says nobody knows what her story is, other than Chenard. So, it's yeah, that's probably Chenard. just how they got out, was just, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm okay now, I can talk, she saved me, she's innocent. She can talk, she can talk, she can talk. She can sing! <laughs> But anyway. That's my theory. Yeah, that's fair. But then we get the end, which we talked about with the mover. We could also just say this is one of those points where they remember they're in the U.S. medical system. <laughs> and that, oh, you're in a mental home? Yeah, you're free to go whenever. Yeah. Thank you, Reagan. Uh-huh. Bastards. And this was in Reagan's yeah. era, so yeah, that actually... All the muscle hospitals shit. getting closed down. That's pr- <laughs> as grim as it is, that's probably the more likely scenario. <sighs> but then we get the end with the movers and the uh, the pillar of souls erupting from the mattress. And once again, one of the movers is played by Oliver Parker, mm-hmm. uh, who is one of the guys helping Larry move the bed in the first one and will later go on to play Bella Quinn in uh, Nightbreed because mm-hmm. Clive has buddies. Yeah. And, and <laughs> if you want a mild giggle for yourself, uh, when, when the... Whenever this tower post comes out of the mattress or whatever it rises out of, if you have a slide whistle handy. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you're watching with friends, just. Thank you, Sideshow Pinhead. It works. I'm not saying it doesn't. But it's just low. It's, it's not classy. No, this says V, Frank V. V, Frank V. Jesus Christ. But yeah, that's Hellraiser 2. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. I don't know why we had to explain it to you guys that this movie was awesome. Well, we didn't... In case you hadn't watched it recently, <laughs> we wanted to make sure to recap it before we move on to the all... Into the weirder. ...stuff of... Three, three through... Forward. Three through eleven. The lesser Hellraisers. Yeah. Like, we can't just go skipping chapters willy-nilly. We are, no. you know, we are journalists here. We are completionists, And that we are keeping a journal of our watching this, not necessarily doing bold investigative work. I mean... A little bit. That's what Rachel Maddow and, you know, Newsmax is for. 
<laughs> Don't hear them in the same sentence very often, do you? No, I, I immediately re- feel regret for insulting Rachel Maddow for putting her together with that. Yeah. Of course. I don't. I just wanted to do something silly. I'm sorry, Rachel. I know you listen to this every week. She might. You don't know. She might. Who knows? <laughs> but, uh, no, this movie, man, seen it a zillion times. It's still great every time I watch it. Yeah. Just love it. Uh, and yeah, the next uh, three through eleven, your mileage will vary, mm-hmm. listeners. Uh, yeah. Again, I own most of them, so that's and me. There's a couple that I definitely haven't seen, and there is a couple. There's one I have not seen. I haven't seen any of the post Bradley ones, yeah. so that's three of them right there. Yeah, and I have the f- absolute fuzziest of memories of. I guess all like of that's really. fuzzy. Yeah, no, like I remember bits from different ones, but honestly, mm. it's gonna be a big rediscovery for me. It's just this is good. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yep. Then you'll be awake for the next one. It, it might also be part you of it. Promise is I that don't you'll really, be awake for the next one. I just didn't have a ton to add on this one because it's something I have seen and talk about it. There is that. that I, yeah, I, I assumed that that was more of the thing. Yeah, but I like to make fun of you. Yeah, we can, you know. <laughs> add quirks and character to this show why not uh, because people have complained oh okay that, that yeah, makes sense that's, gotcha. that's a reason but right. uh, so that was Hellraiser 2 next week Hellraiser 3 colon Hell on Earth this is our first American Hellraiser film well it was filmed in America but the director's still British dude I'm just Dimension buys it. So Dimension it was, buys it. I'm it's, just saying. It's American this time. It was Tony Hickox is a British director. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll sort this out next week. We'll sort this out next week. Until then, get the hell out. See you in hell. If you want to interact with us online, you can check us out on Instagram or Twitter at Amityville Show, or you can send us an email at podcastamityville at gmail.com. <laughs>